I actually love alpha playsets. I didn't own very much alpha cards. I think it was only maybe a handful of alpha cards before I started old school. But those things are so rare and so beautiful to me. When I when I can finish a playset, I usually just do it. No matter if it makes sense. No matter if you even play the card in a playset. It doesn't matter to me. I'm keeping it civil. I'm not go I'm not crazy, I mean. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Flippin' Orbs. My name is Gordon Anderson, and in this episode, me and my fellow co-hosts will talk about how to prepare for a tournament. And then me and Seb also did an interview with Mark Lenegra, a famous collector and both vintage and old school player from Germany. We talk about his uh, introduction to Magic the Gathering, and how he found out about old school, and also a little bit about his vintage career and vintage as a whole. Even though this is not a vintage podcast, we hope you still can enjoy that part. And as last time, me and Seb is sitting in a pub while recording the first part of this episode, which will explain some background noise, and we're sorry about that. We may also seem a little bit intoxicated, and that is because we were. But we also hope that's okay with you, because here is Flippin' Orbs, episode 7. Welcome, Seb. You're back again. Uh, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> He's still, still here. Still alive. And another person that's still alive and still here is, of course, Grant Castleton. Welcome. I am still unfortunately here, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Without beer, I think, as well. Me and Seb, has, uh, we, we've had a couple. A few. A, a few. The yeah. bartender don't even talk to us anymore. Not because we're rude or anything, because I think he accepts us as a presence in the bar that do not like communicate with him. Yeah. So, so he, he just like walks by, gives us some chips, crisps. 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 <laughs> the, really the, it's chips in Sweden. I don't know. Okay, it's Swedish, and uh, he, he just like gives us like two fingers. Those like French fries. Like, no, 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 <laughs> no. Uh, in in England, ships yeah. is French fries, yeah. and crisps are chips. Yeah, like potato oh, chips. Oh, like, like potato chips. What's yeah. potato chips in Sweden? Chips, chips. <laughs> but in oh. England, <laughs> you're talking American. But in no, English, I'm talking like the Swedish language. Like, what's the actual? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in, in America, it's chips. it's crisps. No, 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 uh, no. Okay. <laughs> in England. Yeah, but this, this is one of the differences uh, between American what, and English okay, English. Grant, Grant, what do you call the we potato, call potato chips. chips? Potato chips. Yeah. You say like, I would have to, I would like to have a bag of potato chips. 
Uh, Usually that's no. how I say it in that voice. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought so. But th the, that's one of the differences. Don't you know this, sub? In England, <laughs> you know, UK, the United Kingdom, okay. the, the glory of the world. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's where ships is crisps. Yeah? And ships is uh, fries. No, ships is the things that goes on the sea. No. <laughs> oh, god damn you. <laughs> uh, I know this one. I know this one. Okay, yeah. But Whatever. In American yeah. English, it's... Uh, fr French fries, freedom fries. Potato, and potato. Wed wedges? Wedges? I think the... Color or color. The, the, when you have potato... Potatoes? In the oven. So, like listeners, slices. we're not going to talk about <laughs> languages uh, this episode, even though yeah. it seems like it. And uh, UK old school group, uh, we do love you, even though you say the wrong word for chips and you say crisps and chips is something else. We we uh, not love you, but Who we do like you. Okay. Uh, we have our co-hosts and hosts presented. So I'm going to ask the question of the episode now. And last time, I think we asked your favorite enchantments. Grant needed to answer his favorite, second favorite, because the favorite was too obvious. Uh, but mine was as well, because Grant could guess it. So this time, I want a little story of you guys. I want to hear about your most memorable, your best magic moment. So your golden moment of magic. Seb, would you like to start? No. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I don't. Hmm. Like one okay, may, amazing maybe, moment. It doesn't need to be old school this yeah, time. I don't... I have I don't have a specific moment, but I do remember when I've uh, acquired like old school cards. But I played uh, vintage, and I in the in my first tournament I I I had I I, I got to like play my ancestral recall, and I think I ha I got to uh, misdirection another. Player, like my opponent's uh, ancestral recall and I remember someone calling it out like oh you just started playing you got to do that already and it's like <laughs> yeah but, but that uh, is a magic moment yeah misdirecting yeah. an ancestral but it's not a magic it, I, I wouldn't put, a, put it up on my thing. tombstone <laughs> 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 I don't know yeah I, I would know. probably not put anything magic related on my tombstone you wouldn't? Uh, <laughs> probably not but yeah sure uh, that's a better topic. <laughs> what <laughs> what, would you what put magic on rela related thing, thing would you put up on your... I'm, I'm going to write that down for okay. uh, next, next episode's next. question. Grant, what would you, what's your most... Golden ma magic moment. Golden, you say. Okay. Oh. Well, I remember we, we were playing at a brewery one night and I was playing against one of our buddies, Ray, and I, three games in a row, I bolt, bolt, Chain lightning, chain lightning, chain lightning bolt. I did all n the last nine damage with three burn spells to him in a row in three games. <laughs> um, and that, that was evil. fun because he, because yeah, he, uh, he was at he, he he didn't accept it that or what what how well, he did just, he, he, he I just had a bunch of burn away. in my hand and he was getting he got below nine and was able to burn him out three games in a row with the same spells. 
And he stood up, walked away without saying a word. <laughs> like well, side. I bought, a, I, I bought him. A, I bought him a drink. So. Ah, okay, that's nice of you. That's. Yeah. That's good. But that was that's the one of the first things that come to mind. But, or I I have um. I an opponent played a, was playing white weenie and he dropped a Sarah Angel and then passed. I had the mana to, uh, play preacher, Geddon, and then the next turn steal his Sarah Angel. So that's that was a, that was fun. That's better, I think. Yeah, but, but maybe not the situation because I don't know if there were any bear involved or whatever. Uh, oh. I I prop there usually is, um, so who knows? Half the time I'm usually, that's why I probably go three and three every time is because I'm at the end of the night I'm drinking too much. <laughs> yeah, it, okay. Gordon sitting here being all theatrical. He's acting like he don't have or haven't thought of his no, best I, magical I haven't moment. thought of it, but... I, I, oh, <laughs> what is my best magical moment? You thought up the question. <laughs> yeah, I do know. But I thought of the question and then just, oh, goddamn, I need to answer it myself. And I came up with three answers. Uh, when you Three answers? Yeah. And, and a I have three-part some... answer. Because now when you said, like, beer and that's why you go three-three... I think a, a good magical moment is when uh, MG wrote about on his blog that Gordon is one of those players who always come to the top eight, but never goes any further because he drinks too much. That's a, but, but that's not a specific moment. That's just something that's true. It's the moment when you're sitting in front of your screen there, or the moment and, when you're acting uh, it out. And another or... moment, if you wanted like, like magic moments, that's. My, my absolute best magic moment is getting an article written about me on the mothership <laughs> on yeah. the fucking Wizards of the Coast Hope page. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Okay, I, I know where you're hearing it now. Uh, uh, and that is a magical moment. Being on stream, getting an article written about you on the fucking mothership. That's, oh, swearing. That is a magical moment. But I want to talk about medical knowing in old school. And I have the amazing one. So this is the third one? Yeah. Okay. No, that's why I just put those aside. <laughs> this is the real but you want to magical them, though? golden moment. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yours? Yeah, yeah. I went to London to play old school. Yeah. And uh, I went there with my as we talked about last episode, Field of Dreams deck. And I met this player, is uh, Rod Smith. If Rod Smith was listening, I really do hope he, he does. He didn't get to have any fun in this game. And that was what was so fun. It was so amazing. Th- this is Getting the Field of Dreams combo and... Yeah. The only thing that disrupts the combo is one disenchant. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Field of Dreams combo is Millstone, Field of Dreams. I can see what's on the top of the libraries, I can mill if it's something I don't like. Yeah. I gave him at least two disenchants, mm-hmm. but he didn't have any white mana. He didn't have any. No. no. Mm-hmm. So he had two disenchants in hand, and I kept him off white mana the whole game instead so he just drew cards couldn't play them drew cards couldn't play them and he has the answers in his head yeah that's a magic that's a magical moment that's a magic golden moment but 
Okay. We uh, discussed this question before. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh no. no but before we go into the yeah whatever, yep. the, I I just want to add like because I now realized what the weirdest moment, but the most magical moment I've been through was at a GP when I uh, looked at the scoreboard and I won all my matches. I saw that I was meeting Joshua Tulaiton. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like all shaky because I maybe started playing a couple of months ago, took it up again. And I was like, okay, this is a pro. You need to keep racked up. And uh, I played Mono Barbs. Is it? Uh, we're, we're all Four the... mana if you tap a land, get yeah. one damage. Uh, and I, kn I knew that he didn't have any outs. So he like, he's a, I don't know, he's a thinker, but he's also a like introvert kind of guy. Yeah. But, and he didn't Amazing say anything. He, ha he has a headphones when he plays and like stuff like that. And he, of course he's like all, he greeted me uh, like uh, hello and everything and all that. But when I, when I knew I had won, I was like all jitterish. I just wanted like, oh yeah, yeah I won against him. Uh, so I put a bar mono barbs and I thought that he was like, he just like jumped, not like jumped out of his uh, chair, but it's yeah. like he scooted up in some sort of manner. And I just put up my hand <laughs> like a good game. That's conceding. Yeah, but he, the, he didn't take my hand because I thought he was conceding. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, when it was his turn, I missed all bun a bunch of triggers uh, because I didn't know. I, I was all like screwed up yeah. in my head. Let's say you won. Uh, but I did won. <laughs> it didn't matter. And uh, the, the fun part with this is like when uh, uh, later on, because this was at a pro, uh, in the, it was a pro tour uh, in like the same area. So there were a lot of uh, pro tour players. So. I wanted Josh to sign my mat because I, yeah. I won against him, but uh, no one yeah, had I just a beat you. Can you sign this one? Yeah, <laughs> no, but this was this was much later. I don't know. Uh, my my friend wanted a uh, wanted a sign from Ray Duke, and Ray Duke sat signing like mats, and uh, Josh and later were, were right there. So I went up to uh, Ray Duke and I was like, "Can I borrow your pen?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked uh, Joshua Leiden to sign my mat, and then I took a mat. So I like. So with Ray Duke's pen, <laughs> yeah. Josh Leiden signed your mat. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a. I, di I didn't meant it to be uh, this to Ray Duke either, because he's like one of my two favorite players. Yeah, Ray Duke. Uh, he and amazing. Gary Thompson. But yeah, it became kind of because like, yeah, can I borrow your pen? Yeah, you signed it. Like, I don't care about you, but you signed it. And like nobody else. Yeah, and for those listening, I lost my winning into the top eight at the yeah. at GP on cam, and it's horrible. I play so fucking because I went on fucking cam and lost my cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's uh, that's not old school. Yeah, yeah. but. That's the magic golden moment. Okay. Guys, do you have a magic golem moment? Yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not <laughs> accepting this question because it was like okay, whatever. We were drunk and you came up with it. Do, do you have a magic golem? I misheard and made fun of uh, Gordon's pronunciation of golden 
and said golem. So Grant, do you have a favorite Magic golem moment? I don't think I play any golems in old school. Um, mm -hmm. And even like in like the this from like standard. I remember when Bosch yeah. uh, was standard and Mirrodin and he was pretty fun to play. But besides that He's a cool so. he's a cool golem. Karn is or the load, ultimate golem though. Or or Lodestone, I mean Lodestone of course. Lodestone. I do yeah. have an alpha and beta Obsidian golem. Yeah from, and that's actually my that, golem moment. Okay. Because yeah. Obsidian's Golem is one of my like favorite cards from when I started playing '95. Mm -hmm. It was just so amazing, and the Jesper Murfors art. And I was at a uh, tournament where both Jesper Murfors and actually Richard Garfield was attending, and I found an Alpha near Mint Obsidian's Golem, bought it at the venue. And got it signed by Jesper Moorforce, the artist, and Richard Garfield. That's one of my prized possessions. That's my golem That's awesome. moment. Because Obsidian's golem. I actually have played him in old school as well. Have you guys? No. No. It's awful. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hear me out here. In the Transmute Artifact deck. Mm -hmm. Okay, or it is six mana, but Triskelonis as well. But he is a 4-6. He blocks you some all day. So against yeah. black decks, I actually do like getting an Obsidian Have you heard Golem. of Veteran Bodyguard? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good card. Okay, my okay. favorite Golem moment. I don't have any, so... No, so let's I, go I, to... I talked about Terpatchet, because Terpatchet... Uh, he, he made a lot of good books. No, he, wrote, he wrote a book about Golems. Well. When they have like this piece of paper they put in the mouth, and I think that's from uh, uh, the old Jewish like mythology. Yes, that's where it comes from. That's like when golems you are uh, when you write a name and you put it in the golem's mouth, and that's uh, then that's when the golem, like a clay golem, comes becomes alive. alive. Yeah, whatever. And Terry did the same. Yeah, but let's go to our. Since last episode, new recurring segment, the, I don't want to say combo, but the combination of the day. Yeah. Uh, a I, couple I, of cards that works well. I, I thought about, when, when we started talking about combos, I thought about it in a way of how you come about combos when you play limited. When you're like, you, yeah. you put together cards because you have them in front of you. And then you but, just realize they work really good together. Yeah. You realize, you start to realize, like, oh, I can do this now, I can do... And that's not typical for old school uh, if you're not playing some kind of cube or whatever. Yeah. So... But for me, it's more like old school combo. Yeah, okay. Is quite... So this is Gordon's combo. We're going to... No, it's my, my turn this uh, and do you have Do you have segment music for this as well, Gordon? Mm, no, sorry, not. Okay. Okay, so, I'll so try... No, no, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. <laughs> okay. Guys... I'll fix some music here. Okay. And that was the music of <laughs> combo play. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's my turn for combo music. 
combo. Good combo music. No, no. Uh, for uh, for no, it's Grant's turn. Talk about combo. Next episode Grant. is Grant. Doop, doop, doop. Uh, but but no, old school combo decks yep. isn't used that much. There are a couple of big ones okay. like Power Monolith. Power Monolith. And Twiddle Walt, those are probably the two most common ones. Candle Flare as well. But mm -hmm. here is a combo I really want to build. You use Time Walt. Because who doesn't like Time yeah. Walt? Because yeah. you can take infinite turns if you just do it correctly. With Twiddle Walt. It's Twiddle Walt! No, because Twiddle Walt doesn't <laughs> take infinite turns. Uh, Almost, but yeah. But if you animate the time vault, yeah, either with animate okay. uh, artifact, I know this one, or uh, as I prefer, the uh, Jandor, the, the the poltergeist. No, uh, no, no, to animate the time vault, uh, scenic poltergeist. What? Okay. I think that's a better one to animate artifact. What's a Jandor setback? And. You need to animate the time vault okay. to make it a creature okay. with animate artifact or a scenic poltergeist. Okay. I prefer scenic poltergeist okay, okay, because okay. the poltergeist also can kill moxes on the opponent's side if you only have that one. And then you use Jandor Saddlebags. Jandor Saddlebags. <laughs> which is so, uh, so stupid you're actually putting saddlebags over. Uh, I'm I'm picturing like. Uh, <laughs> but what what's uh what what's it called in the time world is uh, sand, no, yeah. uh, time uh, thing. Like yeah, what's it, what, what's it called, Grant? You're the American here. Uh, the Sa sand glass. Sand glass, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing you put a saddlebag over a sand glass. A sand glass. Yeah, and then you sand have glass. Oh, the time, like that. Like a time, when, yeah. when you have this uh, glass. Yeah. With sand Is it called sand glass? What's it called? I don't know, <laughs> to be honest. But but what, you know what what we're talking about when you flip. Yeah. It, I, uh, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You flip it and it starts. Okay. Can it, you do know what, but... I like this cool? combo. It's a good combo. Yeah. It's a good for this segment, yeah. It's yeah, good. so Scenic Poltergeist, cool, cool. Time Walt, and Yander Cell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. just, an, just the, the Hourglass? Mm -hmm. Hourglass! Hourglass, yeah, that's of course. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you have this Hourglass, sand and you put... Sandglass, sand. all glass is sand. <laughs> and you put, put saddlebags on it. Yeah. Of an course you're gonna win. Hourglass with saddlebags on it. That's good. That's some good magic. We're sorry, listeners, if we're becoming drunk, but this is how it is sometimes. And that's why the next segment is going to be amazing. Because now I'm going to present today's episode uh -huh. of this amazing combo. And that is, we're going to talk about prepping for a tournament. How do you prep, uh, prepare for a tournament in old school? And after that, uh, me and Seb had, uh, has done, uh, have done an interview with Mark Lanigra, which will be the one the segment after. Uh, but let's start talking about prepping for a tournament, because I'm uh, prepping right now for a big tournament uh, as we are recording next week. Shark Week. <laughs> shark Week without a shark. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the few tournaments where you can win a shark, which is the highest prize you can get in Sweden. If you have a shark, you're 
always eternally invited to a world championship. And if you get like four sharks, you get a leviathan. <laughs> you might you trade them in for a leviathan. Yes, yeah. and there's and actually you have to have the sharks in your uh, seventy-five. Yes, and there's actually one player who has three sharks. Yeah. If he wins one more tournament, he can trade them in for a leviathan. And that's ill of course. That's yeah. ill of the mighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, prepping for a tournament because Grant, you were at the tournament. Uh, uh, recently, so you've also been in my seat prepping for a tournament, and that's why we're going to talk about prepping for a tournament. <laughs> what do you <laughs> how many do? Times, how many times can you say prepping for a tournament? <laughs> uh, that depends. Uh, if we're going to talk about prepping for a tournament, yeah, yeah, or okay. if we're not yeah. going to talk about so, prepping for a tournament. So my thoughts. Grant, are you going to prep for a tournament? <laughs> So normally I don't do too much because uh, I don't have much time to play. So I'll jam games, but usually I just show up and start drinking. Yeah. So. Okay, I mean, that's good prep. That's good prep. Yeah. The, Mostly so the just, drinking is an important part of the process. Yeah, that's yeah, actually that's actually one of the things I have written down here: drinking at the tournament. But ah. what about if you go? outside of your own city, drinking the day before a tournament. Is that something you do, Grant? So I've never actually been outside of Chicago. Well, we went to Madison the day You've of. You've been outside Chicago, but not for playing, maybe. Not for Magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think... Yeah, I'm not really sure, because we're driving to Pittsburgh for Eternal Weekend on Wednesday afternoon, so we might, depending on how everyone's feeling, we might go out, but... I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure if, if we had the time, we probably would. So. Yeah. Because yeah. But yeah, prepping for a tournament. Okay. The prepping for. <laughs> uh, what, what, my <laughs> thoughts about why? Uh, I, I, I think I suggested this. Uh, can topic? I do a thirty-second introduction before you say this? Okay. Yeah. Prepping for prepping a tournament. For <laughs> prepping for a tournament. Okay. It is old school. You don't need to prep. You need to come up with a deck you like, and that's what you play. Uh-huh. That's it. That's prepping for a tournament. But if you want some more Sign advice... Sign off! This is... <laughs> and if you want some more advice, let's talk a little bit about it. Set begins. Okay. Uh, I think we talked with uh, a couple of guys in our local community about like the importance of the 75 and I okay. think that's where I start when I like look at the decks and we talked about like the artifact aggro uh, last episode and like what what's the most what's the most frequent deck and what beats that and you don't have to I think you can adapt most of your decks uh, to your local meta or whatever. Uh, if I were to go to NoobCon, <laughs> usually I bring the deck. I don't know if, if I would bring it today, but then I would picture like three worst uh, or, or like the what what three matchup is it that I fear most? And then I would put that into my 75. 
and it's a bunch of things you can like go back and forth with maybe like how I, I prefer to have something kind of aggressive if you at least in your 75 that you can put in so if you go to time you can put in a bunch of seven angels when you're playing the deck but like yeah I don't know Grant you you talked like before your tournament when we had the when we talked you talked about like you hadn't really decided between what you were playing then you played Ernam Gedon and but you did you ever think about what you were meeting or no no I just basically was like I'm just gonna play what I've I was on the fence and until I just said I'm just gonna play what I've what I know and what I've played beforehand um and just went for it because like I, I was I, I wasn't really sure because it was the first time that there were a bunch of people from out of state coming in so mm -hmm. if there's a tournament where it's a bunch of people that I play with on a regular basis I kind of more I know it I'm expecting what to see but when we've got 30 plus people that are coming from out of state or that I don't normally see I figured I'd just play something that I know well mm. So it's better to be like comfortable, uh, comfortable with your what you play than like trying to for me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then if I play something I've never played before, I'll make mistakes or maybe not have a good time playing it because I've never done it before. So figured why not. Well, what's happening at the Eternal Weekend then? That's coming up. I'm playing. I'm playing White Weenie for that. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's going to be a long day, and I want to play something that's going to be kind of easy and not have to go with time and a little bit more straightforward. And uh, is it like your basic 75, or have you like adapted it? Yeah. No, it's going to be pretty basic. I'm playing a maybe a chaos orb in it, and then I just have to figure out what the sideboard's going to be. Going to try mm -hmm. to borrow some city in a bottles and. Hey, uh, you don't have any, or is it? Nah. Uh, they were $75 and now they're up to like almost 200 <laughs> because people are idiots. $200. So I think so. Yeah, oh. with all the spike, with all the with all the buyouts as of the last 2 months, some stuff has just gotten to the point where it's just stupid and you've got people posting on Instagram about them putting up all these reserve cards to make money and stuff. So I'm like, whatever, they can go screw themselves cuz uh, I'm not about to play that. So I'm not I'm not spending money on those cards anymore just cuz it's just like it's just I'm not spending two hundred dollars on a city in a, a bottle. City in a bottle. Yeah. It's city in a bottle. Yeah. Two hundred dollars now. I don't know. It's kind of weird it, because when I'm, I'm ordering cards, sometimes like when I order from the states, you can't. You're, mm -hmm. you're not able to order to overseas, like to Europe. But sure. a bunch of cards are much much cheaper uh, over in where you're at. Because maybe because of your rulings and whatever, which you're able to well, pay and so, but it's old the, school the, the is shipping cost too. Yeah, but old school uh, is yeah. Then comes the shipping old school cost, is course. bigger in Europe, mm. and that makes a difference in price. Um, yeah. There's most old school cards are cheaper in the states, mm. but mm. for us it's still not cheaper because of the shipping costs. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, that's one of the big problems. Because uh, we could spend two dollars and fifty cents on a padded envelope with tracking. That's yeah. pretty darn cheap. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the stores take like forty dollars. Yeah, I just like oh, yeah. traded in a bunch of cards to Star City Games, 
and they like downgraded a bunch of cards and then they wanted i think 45 dollars for the shipping over here <laughs> yeah, i think curry so, kingdom is one of my favorite shops i like channel fireball and those are like 29.95 channel fireball no they will <laughs> but if you do like your card and want to know what condition you get them in abu games abu yeah they're no, they're the, most they're, they they're scan everything they, yeah, yeah, they're specific. Exactly. Yeah. If, but, if you really n want to know, I'm getting a card, that's the condition yeah. I really want. ABU Games is... They, they are alone in that market. Yeah. We're they talking about a bunch of uh, like grading and how you look at cards with Mark Lenegra later on. But I really appreciate uh, a bunch of American sites. But Channel Fireball, they, they're really strict with their grading. And uh, if I order like a moderate play card or like a whatever, it's 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 a, it's in a really good condition when I get it. It's not yep. what I imagine being play. really played or damaged even. I, would I might, say the I same. might I'm, I'm even I might even order a damaged card. And it isn't even. Uh, it's like okay, of course, if it would have been a new card, but if it's an old school card, it's played. So. But how do you think about? getting into prepping for a tournament yeah because you tournament. like prepping for a tournament <laughs> uh, and uh, we don't want to talk that much because as we said in the beginning old school is about having fun playing the cards you really do like yeah. I've but if you want to prep even though because right now uh, when this goes live I probably uh, I've probably already played that tournament but I'm prepping for a tournament which will be 30 to 40 players and I'm going to play fork recursion combo yeah as we talked a couple of episodes about yeah, yeah. Uh, as I'm brewing on it and and that's that says something I've brewed on it for a couple of months I've started actually my first brew was years ago it's one and a half year ago when fork was unrestricted but this two or three months I've been brewing on the actual deck and that is prepping for a tournament and it's like practicing with it and making yeah. sure you know all the lines of play exactly because the deck won't win because it's not that good <laughs> win the tournament win the tournament but and, and that's not yeah, the important part, but I do want to know the deck I'm going to take to a tournament. I want to know all the lines of play, as you said, Brandt. I want to know all the intricacies. I want to know how to sideboard things. I, I, I want to have a plan. I want to know how to play it, even though yeah. I'm going to lose. And, and that's what it's all about. Not prepping to be the best on the best deck and win. And a couple of questions, like uh, something I always ask myself is how many players will be at the tournament? At NoobCon, I wouldn't, even if I like Fork Recursion, I wouldn't take it to NoobCon, because NoobCon is 100 players, at least. And, and that makes the deck a contender. Exactly, because you want even if you if you have a, if you're a lot of players, you want a consistent deck. Mm -hmm. If you're a few players, up to thirty, 
you can play a really inconsistent deck because you're playing that few rounds. If it just gets lucky those rounds, you can win. That for me is an important part. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things. You, and you, you don't know, you can't even imagine if there is that many players. Uh, what you no, you can meet whatever. Yeah. At Noobcon you can meet whatever. Uh, uh, as with you, Eternal Central now. Uh, was it uh, October uh, the 26th, 27th of October? Right. Yeah. Uh, like that will be the, <laughs> the 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 largest old school tournament in the U.S. and you have no idea what you're going to meet, so you can't think about the meta that much because people play what they like. That, but then, <clears throat> like tier one decks becomes more in effect. Yeah, because if you do well in the first couple of rounds, yeah. you're going to meet the tier one decks. Probably, if there if there's good pilots and everything. Yeah. So in a big tournament, you need to think about going up to the big decks. Yeah. You need to have a plan against the deck, blue red burn, and things like that. In a small tournament, you actually don't need a plan against those. You yeah. need a plan against everything. Yeah. So I think the worst, uh, like, over-appreciated card I've based a deck around is, like, when we've played, like, an eight-man tournament and I've based it around Blood Moon. I yeah, that's like just a blue, red, white-based <laughs> Savannah Lions, Blood Moon, Blood Moon main deck deck. And then I think I, that's the board game. What, what 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 do we we win? Uh, what's the card we win when you're like last place? Uh, yeah, here in Stockholm, <laughs> if you get last place, you win the Ragman. Yeah. Ragman, so, right? So that's where yeah, I got so my Ragman. So Seb yeah, has a Ragman. Yeah, we don't have a last place card because usually we. They'll get probably like a dust, assigned dust to dust. But that's usually what's always there's usually that's so there's always a couple of those in the prize pool. Well, you should good. you should you should get one of those grants in the Chicago meta. The Lords of the Pit should have like a Lord of the Pit unlimited goes to the last. But place. it could be a good card as well because then that like a bonus card or whatever. Yeah, because that makes everyone because you're the ragman. man. Trying to they cannot uh, they cannot like uh, concede or anything but if they genuinely get to last place they get a rag ragman here in uh, Stockholm at least yeah. and we uh, yeah, I'll have to bring it up and see yeah but last time here, actually we... the ragman also got an invite to the world championship yeah but we, we uh, what, what do we do we uh, we don't give every ragman but we like how, how, do, how do we to the world championship yeah. No, uh, we're soon up to eight ragmans, and we do a. Like, like when random. we're eight, we're going to do a tournament ah. playing a, for. So a I invite. have a ragman, so I'm in that tournament. Yes, yes, you yeah. are. Do I have to win or? Yes, <laughs> probably win. Can we do it flavor-wise or? <laughs> but we're going to have a special tournament. Yeah. Uh, we're I trying as much. I can't say anything more. We're about trying it. as much as possible to get me an invite. That's what I'm hoping for. No, uh, <laughs> we're trying as much as possible to not get any tournament 
about winning. Yeah, exactly. That's so, that's the, the whole point here. Why, the point, winning shouldn't give you yeah. oh cards for three hundred euros. We came we came about it because like we we didn't have we hadn't thought about before uh, Magnus like started uh, giving out invites. Uh, we had already given out fragments. Yeah, and we yeah. Uh, we talked about how can we give invites without giving them to the winners. So it's like yeah maybe the and we had a bunch of uh, ragmans, yep. and uh, I had been passed down an invite already, yep. even though I had a ragman. And uh, I don't. I think we just came up with one yeah, of them. And we did a lottery then. What, what does that mean? What? A lottery. Uh, yeah. We just uh, drew who of the ragman would get an invite. Yeah. Because so we yeah okay. Coming last place in a tournament shouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. Because. Probably you brewed something stupid and it didn't work out. But we love when people brew something stupid. Yeah. Okay. We're, that, going that's like, to, we're going to the interview now. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because <clears throat> that's what we have to say about prepping for a tournament. Play something you like. Yeah. And if you're like me, I'm playing a deck I do know won't win. Okay. But I'm still hoping. <laughs> no, but I'm still going to play it as good as possible. And I'm and still I'm going trying. to be angry that I'm not winning. <laughs> but I'm going to try as hard Grant, as possible. Grant, have you ever played against Gordon? No. No. <laughs> I can be a sore uh, loser. He's a, he's a sore loser. <laughs> no, See, I can I be. Start, he, he that's is why I just start loser. to drink. Because if I start losing, I just start drinking more. And I'm like, whatever. Oh, well, that's Get good. it over with. That's good. that's good. Me too. And that's when I start playing good. That's a big problem. Yeah. But no, uh, for all those reading like, oh, prepping for a tournament, I'm going to listen to this episode. Ah, oh, this is about it. Play something you like, yeah. but do get some repetitions in with the deck. So you know how to sideboard. Not the deck. No, not the deck. Just <laughs> your deck. But so you know how to sideboard so you don't take 10 minutes sideboarding. Yeah. And I, that's I, about it. I also like to add one small thing that like... With uh, black wise or whatever, uh, some cards you don't have to have in your main deck, and some cards you can have in your sideboard. Yeah. And like, if you if you start with your sixty-five and say like, okay, this I can put in my sideboard. This uh, is more deck This doesn't have to do with prep, but whatever. This is more deck building. We're going to do a deck building episode, uh. not now, but in the future. But here is an interview me and Seb did with Mark Van Nigre, uh, a German guy who's really into collecting. <laughs> really into collecting. But you'll hear oh, that really? in the interview. So here's the interview with Mark Van Nigre. Welcome, Mark, to Flipping Orbs. Uh, how nice of you to join us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, for this interview. I'm I'm really excited <laughs> to <laughs> talk with you about magic. And yeah, so, so, so are we. Uh, because you're a, we've talked uh, for quite some time to do this interview. Uh, so I'm really happy that it's happening now. But for the listeners... Uh, who don't really know 
who you are. Uh, we may have listeners like that. Uh, can you <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about yourself um, and um, maybe also how you got into magic, your magic career? And yeah, who are you? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm uh, Mark Lanikra. I'm from Germany. Um, right now in the very south of Germany in the beautiful area that people use uh, to have vacations. I'm living there regularly and I'm an uh, electronics engineer. And I got into magic quite some time ago, actually. It's been there for probably a good two thirds of my life, actually. Yeah. Have you been playing for all that time or have you like been playing on and off or? It was quite on and off, but I'd say there was a, a major period where I didn't play, which was after we kind of lost interest in school. So we started as uh, as children in school, right around uh, Wrath cycle, and then for the Ursa block, yeah, we've been playing like crazy and. Then I'd say it was a natural process of it dying off. We didn't go to tournaments or anything major. We just had fun with boosters, basically. That's what what we did. And then a few years later, when I joined university, I walked into this crazy room in the math building, and people were playing with cards. And I was kind of, ah, this is something that I know. <laughs> but it doesn't look quite familiar. Because that was there was a time when Mirrodin came out, and the new frame was introduced. Oh yeah. So I was like, so I was like, hmm, this this kind of looks like the game I know, but but not really. And then someone, some people were arguing, and someone pulled out a, a black deck box, and he played Swamp Dark Ritual Hypnotic Spectre. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> I'm seeing the Gandalf meme in front of me, the one that I have no memory of this place. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a little bit like that. So then you so it was, started. So it was really fun and got me got me hooked right again. And you've been playing since. That's like two thousand three, two thousand four. Mirrodin is, yeah, two thousand. Exactly. Then I then I I started to dig around at home, found my old shoebox, the classic shoebox full of cards. Oh. Um, found out that those four revised tools were, after all, not such a bad idea at the time. No. Yeah. Nice. And my my friends called me crazy that I picked them up for I don't know ten bucks, <laughs> and suddenly they were worth like thirty euros, and I'm like, whoa, I'm rich now. What 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 crazy <laughs> is this? And yeah, I. Do you I, still own the shoebox? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> I wasn't. There was not enough foresight at the time. I was like, thinking probably, yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna play this again for a few years, and that's it. But. Then I learned that some some friends of friends were playing vintage, and that really got me interested. And yeah, then it was over. <laughs> so you that started uh, you started playing vintage quite uh, uh, soon after you started playing again in two thousand three, two thousand four, or yes, uh, I think in two thousand five or so, I started picking up uh, my first own power pieces. In Unlimited, of course, cheap S version. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get back to which, that. Which one. back then was, I mean, back then it was really okay. I I worked through the summer. I bought a blue a black lotus and a, a few moxon and so on. And I slowly started getting into vintage 
And we had quite a nice vintage scene where not everybody had the full set of power, so it was quite leveled. And yeah, we started going to tournaments in Italy and all over Europe and yeah. It went on and on. Continuing to play vintage. You have some success with it as well. I've seen it on when I when you if you were to look you up, that's what you usually see. Uh, there's yes, a picture uh... of you holding a time twister, like a large time twister. Yeah, it even came up in the very first talk I had with my employer after I finished university. <laughs> because apparently they Googled my name and they found this and they asked questions about it. <laughs> like, what uh, is magic? Who are you? What is this stuff? Yeah, it was, was really, but it was really interesting. I, I, I found a way to eloquently describe it without it sounding too nerdy and... Mm-hmm. I mean, I got the job. I don't know if it's because of magic, but probably it's despite of magic. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for those listeners who don't really understand what we're talking about right now, what are we talking about? You holding a big time twister. Exactly, exactly. That's the picture, which yeah. is probably the first when you Google up my name. But why is that picture on the internet? And what does it mean for those who doesn't know? So... What always bothered us playing vintage in Europe is there was this event once a year in the US called the Vintage World Championships. And at the time it was, people were were quite pissed because the European events were like three or four times larger sometimes than the American events. But still they got this prestigious world championship stuff. That's the uh, same thing with baseball. They have the world championship in baseball. Exactly, exactly. The Americans are like, why not call it the world championship if it's in America anyway? So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was kind of a dream for me to play in the world championship once. And uh, exactly at that point when I finished university, I had one or two months spare where I just did applications and stuff. And... We, we thought, why, wouldn't it be cool to just travel to the U.S. and play now? Whoever knows if we get the time later on, let's just do it once and then it's done. Yeah, so we flew over and uh, it's, it's kind of blurry actually because I was jet lagged as terrible. And <laughs> I really just focused on game to game. And at some point someone said, hey, you're in top eight now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this guy even talking about? And yeah, let me say I had an insane run. Uh, I I won the whole tournament with some decent meta gaming and what did you play? Um, I played, yeah. The Americans called it Grixis, mm-hmm. but I but I don't even really know what that means. So I played a <laughs> such an old schooler. <laughs> I played a, a blue based control deck with Dark Confident as a draw engine, mm-hmm. and the more or less fresh Jace the Mind Sculptor, really an insane mm-hmm. card. And uh, some splash for it to fig- to figure out uh, because we figured out lightning bolt was the perfect removal at the time because it could kill Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah, yes. that's why so, I always plus with Jace the Mind Sculptor when you're facing red. Yeah. yeah. So 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 what I basically did I I played a deck that could beat Dredge and that could beat Workshops and was pretty weak in the blue mirror because my rationale was the Americans underestimate Workshops completely and the americans have no power so most of them will play bazaars and it turned out right i played two decks out of 13 rounds and the rest was only dredge and and workshops 
Oh, and nice. So, so it was quite, quite, quite I know, good. Yeah. I know, Gordon, that you don't want to linger in vintage, but I just uh, yes. have, can we have a quick question about what you think <laughs> about the, the unbannings and bannings recently with the, how shop is ha being handled and uh, what do you think about that? A mentor? Yeah, I, I must say I'm not playing vintage actively anymore since about two years, but I'm following, of course, the restrictions and I think it's really getting to a point where it's being ridiculous. You're banning nearly every decent artifact there is just because you won't touch workshop. And I feel this is going to be a problem sooner or later. <laughs> and the mentor restriction, I mean, yeah, it's like, that it's like giving have. a thumbs up to mentor. I mean, people play two mentors, so now you can only play one. Mm -hmm. It's part of the cool kids now by being restricted. That's what I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're in the Hall of Fame or something. Yeah, if, you, if <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, restricted. Yeah, like that. Yeah, but I, I understand that. Um, and yeah, I think Workshop will be gone uh, in the future. But they're trying. The card, as, the card Workshop uh, will be restricted workshop. sometime. Well, but they or really they will don't keep want on to. sacrificing artifacts that get printed. Like, yeah. put another artifact on the burning pile. It doesn't make any sense, but but anyway, I, I've heard from some uh, avid workshop players that they tested with one workshop and the other cards added again, like Chalice and the, the, the Thorn and stuff, and they they think it's even better than to have uh, the workshops and have the lock pieces <laughs> taken away, so who knows? Uh, yeah. uh, let's see about that. But. Um... Just going to say here, and now we talked a little bit about Vintage. I would love to pick your brain a little bit more about Vintage uh, as well. But as it is an old school podcast, I don't think it's uh, the right time for that. But I'm going to ask our listeners if they would like us uh, to maybe talk about Vintage uh, sometime. Maybe every now and then. Uh, if you like that we talk vintage uh, please just uh, email us at wakwakmtg at gmail or something like that or hit us up on social media and say that you like it uh, yeah, we will have mark back if you exactly the mark... uh, only if we're talking about historical vintage not uh, not the contemporary oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's interesting too yeah and and you said you haven't been playing vintage actively for about two years um, is that because uh that you found old school maybe maybe uh, yes <laughs> yes it is it is because i found old school for me old school right now is the better vintage for me personally uh mainly because i've been due to my career stepping away from the competitive aspect of magic i was i was pretty big in the competitive aspect actually during uh, during yeah. my my time on university but I feel like if I can't invest enough time to have a good odds winning the whole thing, why should I bother playing a tournament which is really only about getting top eight and winning? Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. So how did you find out about old school and got into that then? Yeah, actually, I found it via Magnus's blog. Yeah. And I've found it twice. <laughs> I found it. Uh, forgot I about think... it. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it. Talked to some people about it, and nobody really seemed interested. 
And then this I forgot about it again. I just forgot about it. It was, I don't know what year it was. This is when you talk with your friends in Germany about it, or? Yes, exactly, exactly. Nobody was really interested in it, even building one deck or so. They they, they said like, oh, no, who's going to play this? And is it really worth the hassle? And so on. And they couldn't grasp the concept of just playing with the old cards. How, uh, especially, how yeah, especially Patrick Hines, who is like the craziest person right now for old school in Germany, probably. <laughs> uh, he was like, ah, oh, no, nobody's going to play this. But, so yeah. so he, he's made on 180, he just like loves it now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, he, but how's, well, the, I mean, how's the scene now in Germany? Is it like, uh, is it a good scene? Are you many players or? Let's say, let's say the scene is not, not quite big in terms of people, but in terms of the decks we can play and the people that we have, how crazy they are, <laughs> I think uh, we're making up uh, for a lot of people by that. <laughs> so not a lot of people, but the engagement is very, very high. Yeah, the engagement is massive and the um, the, the decks that we all can build is like, I mean, nobody the is there that can just build two or three decks. Most people have, have 10 plus different decks. And I don't mean variations, I mean different, completely different decks that they can build. So it actually doesn't matter that you're playing with three or four people only because you, you are facing different decks every week. So and this is it's, actually it's, it's this is actually uh, the reason why we have you on the show today is because you guys have such enormous collections and we are going to talk about exactly that collecting magic cards uh, because you're a little bit um, you're a little bit crazy there as well. It's not just Patrick that's crazy, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> let me say, <laughs> let me say, Patrick. Patrick is the one that's that's crazy to getting play out of his cards, a little bit more than me, but just a little bit to be honest. And uh, I'm maybe the the one that's a little bit more crazy when it comes to getting cards and collecting cards, like yeah. owning the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I do remember, it is. Uh, last year when uh, fork was unrestricted i don't know yes. how long it took until you published a picture with four alpha forks uh, was... i think it took just uh, a few hours because i needed to get a picture <laughs> i had them i had them already just in case <laughs> yeah and that's do you have any more like just in cases right now that um... you're like waiting to Right now, no, but uh, I, I, I need to say I had six black visors before they were unrestricted. <laughs> You're because, ahead I mean, of the uncommons, uncommons are so cheap. Why not get yeah. them? Uh... <laughs> yeah, and this gives our listeners uh, a little bit of insight on Mark and collecting. Ah, let's just get four alpha forks just because. And uncommons, that's so cheap. Yeah, you see, you see, I. I actually love alpha playsets. I didn't own very much alpha cards. I think it was only maybe a handful of alpha cards before I started old school. But those things are so rare and so beautiful to me. When I when I can finish a playset, I usually just do it. No matter if it makes sense. No matter if you even play the card in a playset. So your it doesn't matter to me. Your alpha black lotus playset uh, just lies there. Or... Yeah, I'm working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's I'm working on that one still. So so power is still one of one. So ah, I'm keeping it civil. I'm not go I'm not crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, when did you start collecting like like this? You, you mentioned that you like started you started playing vintage and got into old school, but nobody really were interested. Were you already collecting cards before you got into the old school scene, or? I mean, I was always kind of a collector. Um, I told you before, I started vintage with getting unlimited pods to play. And at that time, it was quite reasonable prices. So I upgraded to, for instance, black bordered Moxes. They were beat up as hell, but they were black bordered. And at that time, I craved Korean the most because I find it looks very beautiful on old cards. Mm. So I had. I was chasing Korean cards. Then later on, we played a format called German Highlander, where you can play only only one copy of each card and play 100 card decks. And I started by buying randomly Japanese foils for that because they were not expensive at the time. And I enjoyed the chase. So I was always kind yeah, of yeah. a collector player. I mean, my main focus was always playing, but collecting was always in the background. And when did and... you start buying like alpha cards and stuff? Yeah, that started actually with old school. At that point, I had uh, a quite reasonable vintage collection with a lot of uh, foreign black border duels and stuff. And uh, I got a set of one of each alpha duel for my cube. Oh. And that kind of triggered me on alpha. And then I found old school and I finally had a reason. I finally had something <laughs> oh. to justify getting more <laughs> alphas. Yeah. So I traded my, my FBB duels 4 to 1 in alpha <laughs> and went from there. Whoa. And uh, if we talk about your alpha collection right now, is uh, because if I understood it correctly, alpha is your biggest passion when it comes yes, to Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, how big is your alpha collection right now? Is there a piece you think you're missing or do you have any other stupid place that's like fork um sorry yeah i, I don't I, I i don't know I, I i can tell you off the top of my head what exactly is in there but um let me say there's always something to crave when you're collecting alpha mm -hmm. so for instance i have an alpha lotus and i'm very happy that i have one but yeah you know it could be a little better in condition <laughs> <laughs> and uh I have a one piece of power on my Mox Jet, actually. It has a tiny ink spot that we found a few weeks ago. Oh. So, uh, yeah, you could upgrade that. I mean, <laughs> there's always something to go for. But as it stands, I think I'm at uh, around 30 alpha rare playsets. Whoa. And that is completely, uh, completely crazy, I admit. And... Uh, I also have places of the dual lands, which is completely. I, I would have never dreamed to have that. So you, so you have you have nine playsets of alpha duels. Exactly, exactly. And uh, <laughs> my my guess is you also have four beta volcanic islands. Yeah, you know, at at some point you gotta play with proxies. There's no there's no chance. There's no way around. <laughs> Yeah, there's actually but, no way around that. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way around. So I, I, I'm still so much a player that I won't say I'm not playing Volcanic because it's not an alpha. That's not how crazy I am, but <laughs> ah, it's getting close. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. And the other place is, is probably something like um, 
uh, Armageddon or Birds of Paradise or even crazy stuff like Disrupting Scepter and Jajem Day Tome, which everybody tells me, you don't need a playset, you play two or three maximum. And I'm like, yeah, but it's just one more and I have a playset. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand you on that one. It is very beautiful when you like have a playset. What do you set. think about sign cards? Do you collect any sign cards or something like that as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit complicated. I'm I was a a big collector for side cards actually. Um, about let me say ten eight to ten years ago, uh, I even traveled a lot to GPs just to get my cards signed. But because I felt of like the artists are there too. because of to meet the artists, yeah, to meet them in person to get my cards personally signed. But then something major changed. Most artists offered a service where you could sign and even do alterations through mail. Yeah. And at that point, for me, it was nothing special anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people started to get more and more signed cards, more and more hit the market. And if I'm looking at, at the old school relevant sets at Alpha and Beta, I mean, there are some cards where you can easily find a place of, of signed ones, but not a single one in near mint non-signed. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's kind of inversed nowadays that yeah. the, the non-signed clean and, is, is better. With power and like jewels and or like specific artists. Have yeah, like like Rob Alexander. I mean, Rob Alexander is, is one of the greatest artists of early magic. He, he, he drew beautiful landscapes, but he's he's been to so many GPs that nearly every dual land seems to be signed by Rob Alexander, at least for the old ones. Yeah. yeah. Gordon, can't you tell what you can't you tell the story what you did with the was it a soul ring? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I bought. You were to meet Mark Tedden? Yes, because uh, I had a beta soul ring, which mm -hmm. was signed. Uh, and usually, I don't sign uh, beta or alpha cards, and because yeah, there's there's too few of them, and there's fewer non-signed. But that mm -hmm. one was already signed, so I just yeah, but. Could you do an alteration? I like Star Wars, and I do know you do Star Wars alters. So I want uh, alterations on a Mono World, Mono Crypt, and Sol Ring for the Vintage deck. So yeah. the Beta Sol Ring is... Oh, I don't want it to be destroyed, but, but still. I thought, and... I thought that you bought a new no, no, no. Sol Ring just to get it signed by him, personally. Uh, no, but that was another card I did <laughs> that way. But, uh, this... So you had a signed card. I had a signed card, had, I did an alteration, and a... signed it again. So it's now but signed. You needed to get a new card so you could get it signed personally. Exactly. Uh, I bought a Grim Tutor uh, just to get it signed. Ah, nice. Yes, because I do like the card i will never play it and i do like mark teddin and his art so that card i just bought just to get it signed so and... maybe mark isn't maybe all, we all are a bit crazy when it comes to like what we are looking for what we of course we are uh, i mean I'm... when it comes to when it comes to mark teddin especially i have uh, quite quite a coincidence that one of my most prized cards is actually a necropotence Oh, signed by Mark Tedden with the classic altar. I mean, I you can guess it is uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader altar, yeah. And uh, this was owned by a friend of mine, and he went to a comic con, and he met David Prowse, who played Darth Vader. Yeah. 
in the early Star Wars movies. So he oh. got it signed by Darth no! Vader himself. Oh, God And damn. it took months of negotiation to get it from him. But I think this is one of the craziest cards I have. And it's not, I don't even play it. It's not an old school, but it's, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that is, oh, that's super cool. I would love that card. Do you have any? Do you have any like oh. items that you own that isn't that expensive, like a Alpha Blast Plutus, but you like really value? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. Um, for instance, this Necropotence is one example. Um, another one is uh, my Time Twister that uh, I won oh, as yeah. a card. I have uh, that as a card. The lar- the large one, or what do you mean? Oh, do you have oh, no, an altar? Um, do you have an altar with the the new picture which you exactly, won exactly. on a real card? There was an idea by by Richard Lessman, who told, I, because I was complaining when I won the card, like complaining on the highest possible level. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a little bit a little bit down because I couldn't play with the card. And then he said, "Yeah, why don't you contact Matt Stewart, who painted the original I have hanging in my flat, and tell him <laughs> here's a beta time twister." Please alter it to have the exact same art as the one I won. Mm. And this is what I did. So I have a time <laughs> twister. I don't play it in old school because I think it doesn't fit, but I think it's such a cool such a cool thing to have a miniature version of the painting I won as a card. Uh, oh, really absolutely. cool. Yeah, me and Gordon's friend, Daniel, he when you talked about sending in sign fours to four cards to get signed by artists, he had a project. I, I think it took like two years or something at least one year for him but uh, when we play vintage here in stockholm we have we like allow 10 proxies or something so mm-hmm. he got uh he sent like cards to all the artists uh i think that made the on the modo on the magic online mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. it, it's actually a little bit different uh okay. he first of all he took uh old uh, cards uh and uh, remove the picture and remove the text box and things like that uh, so it's real magic cards uh, like mm-hmm. he has artifacts with zero mana cost and he sent them to that's uh, Vulcan Baga who did the new he Moxes. did the Moxen, yeah yeah okay, uh, so he sent uh, five of those like blank cards to him to paint a black and white version of the Moxen. And he did the same with a blue card for Ancestral and sent it to Mark Poole and uh, Time Walk uh, and all those Mark things. Uh, now, yeah. Time Twister is Mark Tedden. The Time Twister, yeah. actually, he never got a hold of Tedden. He never answered. So that uh, was actually me getting when I met ah, Tedden. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. had, cool. I had the blank card and Tedden did a re rewrite of the time twister art in black and white yeah. just in on the but, card but those that are amazing set that he has is yeah, so cool we can we can add it on the like instagram and on the oh yeah we post. should we should uh it is it's really cool it's just proxies but uh they are cool yeah it's always cool when it comes down to uniqueness something something special yeah exactly yeah. um but any other priced uh processions in your collection yeah actually there's another another thing or it's maybe it's two things that i that i think i price the most in my collection 
which again has nothing to do with old school, not even vintage. Yeah, that's okay. But you see the my number one favorite card of all time. Uh, I found already as a kid in Exodus, which is also my favorite expansion, oh. and it is Survival of the Fittest. Oh. Because even at the time, I just adored the mechanic of you discard a creature, you get any creature out of your deck. And the more I played Magic and the more time went by, the more flexible this got because suddenly you have creatures that can bounce other creatures, that can destroy enchantments. You can do anything, basically, with this effect if you have the right creatures in your deck. Yeah, yeah. it is. And I also card. love the perfect the perfect blend of, of flavor and the artwork. I don't know if you have the old artwork present in your mind. It's this, yeah, oh, yeah, this I one, do know it. It's this one crazy mock leaning over the other one that he just stabbed with his with his pike axe. Yeah? It's, it's it's really brutal, brutal but it it, yeah. it refers to survival of the fittest in some way. Oh, it really does. And uh, yeah, I was very lucky that I got the original art for that card. Oh, you have the original yeah. original art. Yeah, I have the original oh. art by Pete Venters. Uh, it's uh, in my living room. Amazing. But I like how the creature also is like looking at you. It's like going through the third wall. It's like you're yes. next. Or something like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the feeling you get when you look at even especially within the big version of the original art. It's really looking at you, challenging you. Yeah? You want to be next? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really that's really crazy. Um, like you have I to give see. me another creature to <laughs> kill. <laughs> <laughs> what else yeah. I come for you? So I feel incredibly lucky to own the original of my of my favorite card ever because I mean it's one of one. You really have to get lucky. There's so many collectors out there that oh, want yeah. this artwork, and yeah, I was extremely lucky to get it. There's even an article I wrote for Original Magic Art on how I got it and what's my story of the card. So if you want, you can check that out. Uh, it's really a crazy story and a biggest coincidence ever that I got it, actually. If you send me the link, I'll uh, link it in the show notes. Uh... Yeah, no problem. So, and a little bit tied to that is um, that because I won this Vintage Championship, I got the chance to meet maybe the, from my point of view, the craziest collector in the world. So he had really the craziest collection I've ever seen. Is it a name you can say or? No, I, unfortunately, I can't. No, I can't. He's, he's really private. He's not known in the community anyway. He's just a collector. He never played. Uh, but for what um, reasons do you think he was like more crazy than you? <laughs> um, for once, he has a set of every magic expansion. Mm -hmm. And when I say every magic expansion, I mean going back from alpha playtest uh -huh. <laughs> over alpha over beta over unlimited to summer magic <clears throat> and also he got basically every card that is in existence and that even means test prints error prints and so on um, but not the not the dragon or the world champion card maybe he he owned the world champion card Okay, then I when know. I visited him, I mean, I think he sold it in the meantime, but he owned at that point the world champion 1996. Yeah, it was <laughs> it, it was on sale, I think half a year ago or something like that. It, it, yeah. It's been sold this year, I do know. 
uh, yeah, for exactly. an undisclosed uh, number of undisclosed pennies. amount. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but usually he, he, could, he couldn't own the he couldn't own the dragon. Because, by by the way, that's that's a that's a funny uh, small story as well because the Japanese won't sell it because it is a gift. Yeah, ah. he, he's made offers like crazy, but they just wouldn't sell. So what he did, he got the original art for the Shishifuku dragon <laughs> as a placeholder. So, so you, so you see, this guy's even more crazy than any of us. <laughs> yeah, I've heard stories about this guy in the community uh, a couple of times, and yeah. But some cards are like the collectors don't want to talk, discuss them because they're cards that the like uh, splendid genesis wizards of the. Yeah, cards that they get, like for when they have a child, or like there are special mm -hmm. cards that. So it's just uh, for Garfield. Some collectors don't want to. Yeah, it's some three some cards. don't want to show their collection that they have those, like because they have got them of staff members that like, like you said, with the gift in the the dragon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 way special in that cases, but yeah, let me say I was pretty lucky that it seems I made a good impression on him. And mm -hmm. someday he called me and he said, yeah, you know, uh, you told me you like survival of the fittest and it's your most favorite card. And I don't know if you know this, but survival of the fittest was one out of six cards used for test printing foils. Yeah. No. So foils first appeared later in Urza's Legacy, but the they made some excellent. test runs beforehand. Mm. And this guy had a few, let me say, quite a few survival of the fittest <laughs> and he offered me that i could basically pick anyone from his collection that i liked most and he would sell it to me whoa so i got of course for my opinion the best one a black bordered one with the shooting star and the perfect color the exact same color that they used in the end so oh. let me say it is really the prototype and there's even a, a writer on the back from the uh, art director at the time with his signature and this is the one like something like uh, this is the selection we're gonna use <laughs> uh, so you, you, you got the last prototype after months of work with foils yeah, and seems, they, yeah. they come to like this this is what we should use and you have yeah. that one do they do you have it like on the wall or do you put cards on the wall like frame them or yeah, uh, actually, with the with the artwork, I have one regular copy of Swavel signed on the wall in a small frame. And I wanted to put the foil there, but then something crazy happened. And uh, now I have did. a playset. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided, yeah, I've been buying old school cards left and right. Why not do something else? And I built a 60 card deck with only old frame foils which plays for survival of the fittest so that's nice i have it sleeved up at the moment <laughs> nice yeah that's a crazy piece in a collection but um let's uh, get a little bit um, for for people uh, who want to start collecting and we'll focus on like the old school part mm -hmm. here and uh, want to find the certain copies of cards and things like that how, how do you do you have any tips on how to find cards? Because sometimes it's actually quite hard, uh, especially if you want something like a uh, miscut uh, antiquities card and things like that. Do you have any tips on 
how to find cards like that. Mm -hmm. So the best advice I can give, which I routinely disobey myself, is have patience. <laughs> so if you're looking for something like, like say, a, a nice condition alpha rare, you basically just have to wait a little. And those will pop up at a decent price, and you can get them from private people from time to time. Yeah. Uh, this is this is often better than going for going for a, a big store or something because you will you will pay quite a lot more if you get it from them right away. But if you're talking about really specific stuff like miscuts or misprints, yeah, then my only advice could be probably like, if you see it, try to get it. Because if then you're then you're going more into the area of one out of one or one out of 20. I mean, when I found the survival original art, I didn't even ask the price. I didn't hesitate <laughs> because I knew this might be my only chance to get this in my life. Yeah, yeah. Because if it goes to another collector, it's locked away for 10 or 15 years. And this can be the same if you're looking for, let me say, a, a misprint, a decently misprint or miscut Mishra's workshop. Yeah. I don't know how many are out there. I've, I've seen a few, but most of them were NFC sheets. Yeah, and that means non-factory cut. Exactly. So you, you have the whole sheet and you cut it by, by yourself. Yes, this is a, a big industry, let me say. There's a few people doing it. They buy complete sheets, which in my eyes are a thing of beauty. Yes. And they cut, they cut it on purpose in a miscut way. So they get, for instance, workshops where you can see another card or where you can see two other cards. Uh, like three, three and four way miscards and shifted miscards that that never existed in Magic, so you have to take care of that. But if you if you're finding a really original miscard workshop, I think you gotta just buy it because chances are you see the next one in five or ten years if you're lucky. Hmm. Do you when you play old school? Do you like? Do you play the top tier decks, or do you go to do you, do you want to use your like the parts you have acquired recently? Or uh, actually, it's it's always that. It's always when I acquire cards, I try to build new decks with them all of the time. And since we're playing quite enough old school in our small community, uh, I get the opportunity to play. We getting we we kind of worked out a tier list, so when we meet up. We make sure to have at least one tier one or tier one point five deck. Like oh, to... someone is always playing like the deck or. Yeah, the deck. Um, you are counter burn uh, a decent deck with Suchi and copy artifacts. So a really strong deck. We always have in our backpacks, but then the rest is usually stuff that we try out, stuff that we play around with. You and uh, it's amazing for me. We've been playing very intensively for two and a half years now, but. There seems to be no end. There's, there's yeah, still can... so many combinations that we haven't tried and haven't delved into. It's, it's crazy. I feel that as well. Like when you just look at the format, you you think that it's stale, it's set. There's no new cards coming in a way, even though they're on bannings and stuff. So, but when because the meta is adapting and changing, and the play groups are so distinct, like you guys play in a certain way, and if you go to the states they have different like meta so i think you're it's true what you're saying there that like you can play so much and you can adapt so much 
Yeah, a friend of mine described it. We, we kind of wondered, we had this discussion, why, why doesn't it get old? I mean, we're playing basically just with two years worth of cards over and over again. But uh, he described it like you're, you're in this circle, you're trapped in such a circle. And sometimes you, you are amazed at your new deck and the new things that you can do with your new deck. But at other times you just admire the old cards and say, wow, isn't it cool that I have all these cards and can play with them? Yeah. And, and and then again, you, you, you find a new combination and you're once again hooked because you can, oh, I never did this before in my life and you can do new things. And you're, you're kind of going around in that circle all the time. And that's probably why it doesn't get old, because it's part playing, part collecting, part innovating. Yeah. So it's, it's something different every time. Part, part drinking beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, it's more of a community thing, and it's more about fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, for now, my rule is I've, I don't play a deck in, a in, in two tournaments. I don't play the exact same deck in two tournaments, ever. Ever, or just in a row? No, ever. Uh, <laughs> so when you play the deck like two times, you're like, well, that's that. Yeah, if I, if I, if I played the, the deck, well, I didn't play the deck yet in a tournament, I think. But I've played Armageddon, I've played a Fork deck, I've played a Time Vault deck, and so on. And there's so many things I can do, and I just want to have fun. So mm. it's not for me about winning, actually. Yeah, it's, I think it's that's... really about doing something crazy and having a good time. Because usually there's no money in it. That's that's the ingenious way that uh, oh, MG pushed the format. There's no price whatsoever. So yeah. I, I I won't feel bad if I if I come if I played when I played my Time Vault deck for the first time. It was in a German uh, German tournament that we organized, and the deck didn't work the whole day. I knew it could work, but it didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, it didn't even matter. If I only won one game out of the three, and I lost every round, I had yeah. great fun, and my opponents had great fun, because they, mm. mo for most of them, they had never seen such a deck, so it was quite amazing for them as well. Yeah, we talked about this, Gordon and I and Grant uh, earlier, like yesterday, I think. That <laughs> he he had a big tournament uh, that he played in, and I think no one played the deck there. And like in all all of our groups now that we play, where in the latest tournaments there hasn't been that many of the decks either. It's more like you say, Mark, that everybody just want to push different cards or like play their pet decks and have fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I played the deck. I think uh, four weeks ago we had a, we had a play session, and I brought the deck, and everyone was really surprised that we wondered how long has it been since anyone has played the deck, so the real version of the deck in one of our test sessions, and we found it's been almost a year. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, the deck is a great deck and it is fun sometimes. That's why I I build it on that day, but. Then again, it also plays always the same, so it's not as much fun. And if you're playing with friends, that's not what you want to do. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm the same here. Um, I do love one deck more than uh, most, and that's the first deck I started playing, and that's the blue red counter burn. Um, yeah, and I just love it so much. It's so fun to play, um, but. I can't play that all the time because there's so many different decks. And now when you said I only play one deck 
uh, once in the tournament, I uh, thought about it. Uh, and I, except for the blue-red, which I've played in three or four tournaments, I, I've played different decks in way m many more tournaments. I've played Parfait, The Beast, Feel of Dreams, Mono Red, Green Ramp deck, Transmute Artifact deck, Power Monolith. Yeah, and like, and when I've played it once, I'll try the next uh, the next time because there's so many fun decks and fun interactions you want to try out. So playing the same deck over and over just becomes um, stale or not stale. They are fun as well, but you want to try everything. Exactly, exactly. There's it seems to be there's a limited amount of cards, and I think. That even makes the feeling stronger that you wanna that you wanna try out everything because it is possible to try out everything. Yeah. It will take you a couple of years, but <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. You can do everything. Yeah, we we had a question about if we go back to like collecting or mm -hmm. like getting cards. Uh, how do you go about when you uh, when we talk about counterfeits or like if cards are have been manipulated in any way like being blackboarded how do you like do you use a loop or a scale or when do you how do you look at the cards so what i'm doing usually is um first i take the card completely out of the sleeve and just touch it and mm -hmm. usually that's 90 percent okay <laughs> the scent that your your fingers are way more sensitive than you would think and if something is off, you you mostly immediately realize. I think I never heard that, but maybe maybe you do it, but you don't really think about it. But yeah, have you done that, Gordon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it the the first line of defense is just feel the card and uh, see if does it feel right because you've handled so many magic cards in all the years. So it's like a reflex. You know how it should feel. So if you take it up and just something is something doesn't feel like usual, yeah, so, then you something is off. That's the feeling you get. Yeah, yeah, I usually say that you should when people like look at the car and say, like, "Yeah, like you said, something is off." I said that you should look at the backside because you've seen millions of backsides of the cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's usually where I go about if I want to look get it. But then there are rebacked cards, and you know. Yeah, so 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 the biggest the biggest thing where where I personally failed with with that simple test was actually rebacks. Now mm -hmm. I'm I have the advantage of going for alpha, and there's way less alpha rebacks than beta rebacks or past as beta rebacks, I'd say, because of the corner cut. People usually don't get it right, and you see it right away. If they do the alpha, yeah. it's like off. Yeah, so for that I I do a weight test, and mm -hmm. I've yet to see a reback that has the perfect weight of yeah. a, an alpha or beta card. So that's like when I said touches ninety percent, that's like the next eight percent or so. So you get a two percent risk left, and in the case that it still feels somewhat off, I use a loop, or for high value cards I use a loop then, and. I mean, if the weight is okay, if the feel is okay, if the print pattern is okay, it is it is a real card. 
Well, what do you think if you know nothing about like counterfeits or anything like that? What's what's the first thing you should learn? Like, uh, you said like feel the card, but maybe maybe you don't really understand how you should feel it. Uh, I mean, experience. yeah, I know what you mean. In that case, I'd say if you are, if you want to spend a couple of hundred euros on on old school cards, maybe spend ten or fifteen euros more. And get some commons or uncommons from the same set. So you can really do this by comparison. Mm -hmm. If you get an, if you get an, uh, you want to get an alpha duel or a beta duel, just get some beta common that nobody cares about. Just get it and compare the touch and feel of the cards, the print pattern, the look of the card, and usually you will catch almost any counterfeit this way. Mm. How? What do you? Is it? Do you do you know by yourself all the like different variations? Because the print runs back then, the prints were like very, very. They didn't, they weren't the same each time. So mm -hmm. there are a bit of like the Jusam Jins. There's like the darker green ones. And the, do you know all those differences? Can you have you say? I say I'm, I I know most of them, but then. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I recently uh, checked my basic lens again and I found that the color variations in basic lens where I know they are real is huge. So you can't rely, for instance, just on coloring alone. Yeah. Because they can be much lighter and much darker. Yeah. This is not like the Jusams where you have distinct versions. It's like you have 90% of the, of the islands look this way. And then five percent are different, and maybe two percent are completely different in the other direction. I think I've done that as well with like an expensive card. I had like, why? What's what's? Oh, why haven't I noticed this? And then you, <laughs> and then you saw on your like basic line cards. Yeah, okay, maybe it doesn't matter because it's the printing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then if you really check out the print pattern with a loop, you can still be pretty sure it's original. Where do you look at the print pa pattern? Do you like look at the text box or like on the back side or um yeah to be sure i i look all over the place it's it's really i want to i want to find spots where i consider the, the rose pattern really really nicely mm. and these can be mostly it's 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 visible on on the text box because of the the background coloring of the text box you can see it very very clearly but of course, you should look at casting costs or at the black, at the outer black frame even, to see whether this is really the same black, whether it's really printed black or whether it's a dot pattern in there. Then you immediately know it's fake. Yeah. But I must admit, I I haven't run into too many fakes myself. I think it's mainly because I collect alpha, not beta. There's way less fakes for alpha. And usually, you have a few safety nets. For instance, someone passed me a. Uh, a tiger alpha rebacked and if you know tiger uh tiger has an, a printing error in alpha oh, that so i received this tiger and it didn't have the printing error what's the printing error <laughs> the printing error there's a there's a black dot in the type line oh it's 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 really big it's you you can't you can't miss it if you if you know where it is and in that case, okay, you don't even need a scale because, um, come on, dude, this is obvious. This is obvious, yeah. not alpha. But when we are uh, talking about that, um, uh, people who take beta cards 
and cut the corners to make them alpha and more valuable. Is that something you're afraid of as you are a big alpha collector? Um, to be honest, not at all. I think, I think I've, I've seen a few people try it with, uh, international and collector's edition cards to cut them at least to the, to the roundness of alpha. Yeah. And what comes out is often just terrible and doesn't really look like alpha, but I mean, I've, I would think about it like this. If you had a, let me say you have a nice beta black Lotus, which is $10,000, just, just to say, would you really attempt <laughs> to cut the corners for it to be alpha? So you can sell it for 15 K yeah. and risk ruining your $10,000 card. I don't see anyone doing that. I think that's true for counterfeits in like general. Uh, if you would to sell, if you would do it with paintings, you would never try to sell like a bunch of Van Goghs or something. You, yeah. You, you, you're going for like the Tarmagoids or like the medium expensive cards. Exactly. Because if you do a perfect alpha Black Lotus counterfeit, okay, if you do it, I think there's so much work behind it. And, and you, you can only sell one or two. You can never like mm -hmm. sell, oh, I have exactly. 20 Alpha Black Lotuses. All but, in mint condition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah warning balls <laughs> going off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's the same as when people are, are, are producing fake money. They are, they are not producing 500 euro yeah. or 200 euro. They use fives and tens. And yeah. so what gets faked the most is usually probably Tarmogolfs, but I, my money, my money would be more on, uh, on Fetchlands, something in the $10, $10 range. Yeah. And this has been done in the past. And what happens is they even, they don't even sell, they go to GPs and they trade them with people. So they trade the fakes for real cards, then cash in the real cards at the vendor. And... Ah it's the perfect crime because yeah. nobody can trace it back. There's no transaction to be traced mm. and people usually don't check a five or 10 euro card with a loop. If no. I'm going to a GP and I'm buying a beta duel there, you, you can be sure I'm, I have a, a weight scale and a loop with me. Mm. Yeah. But, um, to go away from the counterfeit uh, detection here uh, we have some uh, tips for the listeners feel the card use a loop to look at the patterns i will also add like the first line of uh, defense if it doesn't feel right is looking at the black as you said because the black printing like mana cost mm -hmm. text and things like that should always be super super sharp super crisp because it's all printed in one layer and so if you see something except for the expansion symbol if you see something in the text and it's not sharp it's pixelated or has dots in it that that's the easiest way to spot a fake if and those are the uh, tips for just checking cards quite quickly and don't be afraid of uh, the coloring if the coloring is off of course check it more but don't let that uh, decide oh this is a fake because the coloring isn't the same as this other card here because there's so much variation in the early sets 
And that's uh, the recap of the counterfeit session here with Mark. And I want to ask, what's your next step uh, for your collection? <laughs> uh, you have a, uh, do you have a complete alpha set? Um, actually, no. And I don't intend on getting one. <laughs> oh. Because, as I explained earlier, my, my passion is really the alpha playsets, even better yeah. alpha rare playsets. Because I find it so fascinating that there's like a thousand, a little bit over a thousand printed of them. So there's only 250 playsets in existence yeah. or were in existence at any point in time. And that's a great allure to me. What I did a couple of months ago is uh, a friend of mine bought an alpha set to piece it out. And what I did, I got the few rares that I didn't have even a single copy of to complete an alpha rare set. Yeah. But I think that's about as far as I'd go because I'm really not that interested in picking up any alpha common there is or any alpha uncommon. If I have absolutely no use in ever playing them, it's it's really not interesting for me. So okay. I'd say alpha is pretty finished for me at this point. Okay. And what's the next step then after alpha? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you can't go go back in time more, because <laughs> Alpha is kind of the first set, um, I'm looking forward right now. And what I've been doing in the last couple of months is um, actually we're promoting uh, uh, another fun format of ours, which is called Decade. It's the first 10 years of magic, yeah. which coincides with the end of the old frame. So we basically build a four-off format where you can play all old frame cards, but no new frame reprints. And it, it's kind of different. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with old school, obviously. But it's still that's old something school. that I that's something that I enjoyed lately, because if you're going that route, um, you don't collect cards. <laughs> you you start to collecting decks. Yeah, yeah. Because in this format, I can I can easily build a new deck for like I don't know 100 bucks or so. Yeah, yeah. We're doing the same here in Stockholm. Uh, we, so. we don't allow <laughs> like all these old school formats. All the player bases have their own rules. <laughs> so we have here in Stockholm, we have a set of rules, and Uppsala has another set of rules. But it's with the old frame here in Stockholm, and we don't allow. When does it start? Is it from the four? Yeah, uh, we don't allow cards from 93, 94, uh, as that mm -hmm. is 93, yeah. 94. Uh, so from, uh, uh, but I, I do think uh, uh, it's it's from fourth edition, not revised, as revised came 94. It's It could be from yeah. the 90, uh, from revised. I, I think fourth. Uh, uh, yeah, but fourth until uh, Mirrodin. Uh, yeah, I mean, like... it's, 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 it's roughly the same, I'd say. Probably 10 cards different yeah. that were not reprinted from the old sets. But yeah, I, I, I kind of like this lately because uh, it's fun to build to build the decks which, which really make up the history of Magic. Like, yeah. uh, I, have, I have an Enchantress deck. I have a, an old school reanimator <laughs> deck uh, not, without stuff like Grizzabrand or Eldrazi and Shenanigans. You just have... A Verdant Force or an Acroma to bring back, and that's the hotness. Uh, yeah. Or you build a Psychotalk deck or Illusions Donate, 
like the old trick stacks you play necropotence yeah. and all that fun stuff and really the decks are comparably cheap so yeah. for now i have around 20 decks ready whoa hmm. yeah, all the and decks you... this is something where i can invite people over and we can just play that and it's a lot of fun it's for like relatively minor invest something like a gauntlet when you like choose a deck and you just start playing yeah yeah you i mean people are calling me crazy now because i have i don't know i think 20 force of wills or so <laughs> yeah just because i want all decks to be ready so we can play every deck against each other think, but uh, we don't allow force of will so we, i don't have to get any more i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah we decided to for instance also uh, obviously there's no power there's no dual lands so one of the best decks is actually without force of will madness in our yeah. gauntlet and i think it's about 30 bucks if you order it from an online <laughs> store so and this is really one of the one of the very best decks in there so that that's that's something casual that i can play with a lot of people that don't have the interest and time to put into old school so i'm focusing yeah. on that right now that's the history and... of magic as well yeah, and, and in the meantime, I'm I'm slowly going back to my personal roots with collecting. So I've started gathering product from the time where I started Magic. So Wrath Cycle and Urza Cycle. Nice. I've been collecting um, complete sets of those of those uh, sets. Um, I'm now working on complete fall sets of those sets. And this is just, again, the chase for me, just chasing this one foil in a nice condition to complete out your set. Uh, I've recently started picking up, I don't even know why, was the Saga tournament packs, because oh. I just like the look of them. I, I mean, I, I bought them as a kid. <laughs> I, have, uh, it's, uh... I have two of them uh, unopened. Um... Because uh, Earth, uh, the Wrath uh, Cycle and Earth that's that's my favorite time of Magic ever. So I have unopened uh, Legacy Boosters and uh, Tournament Packs for Ursa Saga. And uh, I also have complete sets uh, of... But I, I have almost... I think I'm missing right now 10 cards to have complete expansion sets from Arabian Nights to Mirrodin. Uh, oh, that's so, also pretty cool. So my, my collection is trying to have one of each card. Uh, but uh, the pre-modern stuff is... Uh, that's where the love is. Tempest, mm -hmm, exactly. uh, Stronghold is so beautiful cards. And oh, just love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I even enjoy just flipping through the binders because the artworks are so different. It's it's When I look at today's sets, it's... Yeah. It's in no way bad what they do. They have a, a perfect feel. Like if you look at the spoiler for a new set, for instance, I looked at the Amon Cat spoiler. Yeah. It looked pretty nice. It was super polished. It was everything had the same the same feel, the same theme of this Egyptian world. It looked nice. But if you look through a Tempest set, you can easily identify ten different artists with ten different styles and yeah. Some comic art, some really serious, some brutal, some thoughtful. So there's a lot more diversity in there, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, and and I think they also in just Tempest uh, still got the feel like you can see this is a card from Tempest in the artwork, even yes. though there's yes. different artists with different styles. I love it. 
But I think um, we're going to uh, wrap up here, uh, actually. And um, thank you very much for coming and talking to us, Mark, about uh, your career, a little bit of vintage, a little bit of counterfeiting, a little bit of collecting and uh, all those things. Uh, thank you very much for wanting to join us. Yeah, it's been nice. Uh, thanks you for your, thank to you for your interest, and uh, I'm always happy to share some some stories. As you as you might have noted, it's really <laughs> talking about your passion is always great to it people is. that maybe understand it a little. <laughs> it's even better yeah. it really <laughs> because is. you can pester your family endlessly with your card stuff. They at some point they will just say, "Okay, come on, I I don't know what you even mean. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, thanks again. This is a new and strange environment at first. It's suddenly finding yourself in orbit. So, that was the interview with Mark Lenegra, a vivid collector. And, whoa, we talked about a lot of shit of stuff about him and with him. Great player, about him, great right? player. Yeah, we took the bard Yeah, and that's it for this episode. My name is, as usual, and as I said in the beginning of this up, Gordon Anderson. You can find me on all the different social medias as Gordon Anderson, with two S on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and whatever. You is can it find SS. SS. Exactly as the German <laughs> guys. You know those guys. Yeah. And you can find us at walk-walk.se. You can find our site with everything. You can sign up for a newsletter. You can see all different old episodes of Flipping Orbs. You can read about different decks and more to come as well. There will be more. There will be blood. Good movie. And um, you can also find WakWak on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at WakWakMTG. You can find Grant Castleton at... Old Magic Music on Instagram and Lord Grant on the Twitter. So, Old Hi. Magic Musings. Musings. Okay. Great yeah. Instagram account. Oh. You should also follow the Lord of the Pits Instagram. They're oh, yeah. the Chicago Playgroup one of the the shit playgroups in the United States you can, you can follow me at like MTG Sebcelia on Instagram uh, but I do a bunch of stuff with the work work so yeah do whatever but I would like to add that you should look at uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, just go into what YouTube the? search for Quentin Tarantino there will be blood <laughs> then you will see something really cool that you might not have thought about when you have watched There, there Will, will be, be Blood. But if you watch There Will Be Blood, you will still ask why have I watched it. Okay. Hmm? So that's where you find us drunks. And we're going to do more episodes. We thank you all for listening to this episode. Cheers, guys. I have just one last sentence prepping for a tournament you need to drink a lot of beer the day before okay. thank you guys okay. see you next time
Toodaloo. Bye.